Good morning, everybody. How are we? Uh, Randy's going to be up here with me. Um, some of you may have heard we have an announcement today. And so uh, first I want to say if, you, if this is your first time visiting, uh, welcome. Um, but you're going to see some of our family stuff, a bit of a family meeting. And so um, thank you for being here. Uh, for the rest of you, um, yeah, there's, our members have known that there's going to be a, uh, an announcement today, and so uh, I just wanted to let you guys all know that, that there's an announcement. It's a big enough announcement that we felt it was important to share with everyone all at once, and so I have a letter here uh, that, that the Redemption executive team, which are leaders over all of Redemption, that help guide all of Redemption, and from me and Randy, uh, that I'm just going to read. So let's, uh, you can just listen. Redemption Flagstaff family. The, the mission of Redemption Church Arizona is to birth and strengthen healthy local congregations. The mission of each local congregation is to multiply healthy disciples and leaders. In our overall and local mission, health is crucial. In God's design, disciples and congregations are led into spiritual health by godly, qualified leaders, especially pastors and elders. No elder is perfect, but the scriptures require that he be exemplary, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, that those in the church might follow his example. In recent days, it has come to our attention that Vince Garvey has been falling short of the qualifications of an elder, as it relates to his marriage, by demonstrating a sinful pattern of anger with a lack of self-control and sober-mindedness in this crucial relationship. Since an elder's qualifications begin in the family at home, 1 Timothy 3.5, we believe this pattern is serious enough that it requires Vince to be removed from the role of lead pastor and elder at Redemption Flagstaff. We believe this is the best decision for Vince, for his family, and for the congregation. The issues in Vince's life will take significant time to address, and removing the pressure of a return to ministry will put him in the best position to work through them while also allowing the congregation to move forward in mission. Because of our love for Vince and Verity, we have created support and care structures to come alongside and shepherd them individually and in due time as a couple. We are also committed to providing financial assistance needed to help them transition into a different vocational path. We know that many of you care deeply for the Garveys and may want to reach out, but we're asking you not to contact them out of respect for their privacy and to allow the care structures to work. Vince is an extremely gifted leader who is well-liked, highly respected, and has a track record of ministry effectiveness. We know this decision will be heartbreaking to many who love him and have benefited from his ministry, as it is to us. Ultimately, we are called to obey God's word and to love Vince and his family as completely as possible, even if it's costly and painful. The Redemption Flagstaff elders are working with the Redemption executive team to discern the best next steps for the congregation. In the meantime, Anthony G. Me will provide the primary pastoral leadership with significant support from other pastors in Redemption family, in the Redemption family, with sorrow and love, 
the Redemption Flagstaff Elders, Redemption Church Arizona executive team. So I'm sorry to drop a bomb on you guys this morning, and uh, it's really heartbreaking for us. It's really sad. I want you guys to know that this decision was made out of love. It wasn't out of anger or spite. It was out of love and for how much we care about Vince and how much he matters to us and how much his marriage matters to us. And so that, that's a huge reason why uh, we made this decision. We know, we know that you probably have a lot of questions, all sorts of things, and so me and Randy will be at the Connect Desk after the service to connect with anyone. There's a members meeting on December 6th. If you're, if you're a member here and you didn't hear about it, uh, let me know, or, or it might be in your e- email inbox somewhere where we will talk through more of that. If you have questions, or, or even if you just feel particularly devastated by this, I would love to sit with you and talk with you, or Randy would love to sit with you and talk with you. I have another letter that I'm gonna read, and this letter is actually from Verity, Vince's wife. Um, I'm just gonna read it. She says this, Dear Redemption Church, I deeply appreciate the opportunity to share my heart with you in this letter. I want you all to know that the boys and I are okay. We have been supported and cared for in ways that truly reflect what the kingdom of God looks like on earth. I also want to express that I wholeheartedly believe that bringing my concerns about my marriage to Anthony and to the Redemption executive team is the best way for me to honor and love Vince during this time. It is heavy on my heart that this decision has has such wide ripples in our church family and in our community. I know that hearing this news will be so hurtful to so many of you. In your sadness, I would like you to know these two things. In his role as your pastor, Vince has been his best and most true self. He has sin and pain in his life that has negatively affected our marriage, and in love, he is now being held accountable for this. However, he loves the Lord and has been truthful in the words he has preached and in his love for all of you. Also, as members of Redemption Church, you are led by elders who, without hesitation, made a decision to uphold the word of God and to follow Christ over their own comfort, knowing the inevitable consequences, pain, and personal inconvenience that would follow. I would like to acknowledge this gift and the comfort that it brings me that I hope will be yours as well. With love and gratitude, Verity. So, that's, that's the announcement. That's the news. Um, there's, there's not much more to say besides what the letter already says. I don't know, if Randy, if you want to add anything. Um, but if not, I'll just, I'm going to have Randy pray for us. And then we'll move into the rest of this service. But thanks. Thanks. If you would, please uh, bow your heads and and pray with me. Uh, Be with uh, Anthony this morning, Lord, that he would uh, just delve into your word. I know the message will be brief, that uh, we would obviously uh, take the message to heart and implement uh, your word in our lives on a daily basis. As it relates to this news, Lord, our prayer in the congregation this morning is simple. 
and it's brief, but it's to the point, that you would uh, understand that we're doing this, as you know, through and for the benefit of the Garvey family, that you would bring reconciliation and restoration to the marriage. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Randy. Um, so I also, I, I do want to say that this decision wasn't made lightly. There was hours of conversation around this. There was people that knew Vince very well, and there was people that didn't know Vince very well that weighed into this. And, and based on what we knew and what we saw, we, this was the best decision. As much as I even tried to uh, maybe convince myself out of it, I couldn't. I, this was the best decision to, to love Vince and care for Vince and care for Verity and the boys. And so uh, I just want you to know there was a lot of big redemption was around us, surrounding us with this decision and helping us and uh, loving us and caring for us. And they'll continue to do that over the, over the coming months. So, um, yeah, I, I'm just going to, I know Randy prayed, but I'm going to pray again. <laughs> Uh, because I don't, I don't know what to do in moments like this besides pray. And so I'm going to pray. There's, I'm going to give a, a short message after this, but pray with me and, and for us. Oh, God, uh, I just, I'm even thinking of that song, Be Still My Soul, that we sang this morning. God, would you still us? God, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us peace? Would you give us love? God, thank you for being with us through this. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for giving us wisdom. Continue to do that. God, whatever our church needs to hear, let us hear it. Whatever I need to speak, God, let me speak it. God, we, we need you and we love you. Amen. Again, I just want to remind you, if you, if you need support in this, if you even feel like you need a counselor. If you need to talk more about this, stop by the Connect Desk after service, and we'd love to take some of those next steps with you. Okay, I don't, I don't know, like, how do you, I don't know how to preach a sermon after that, and so we're not in the Gospel of John this week. We're going to put on pause the Gospel of John uh, till some point in December, and then again in January. But this is what I wanted to do in this moment. I wanted to preach a sermon that I hope shepherds us, that shepherds us into God's arms, that guides us into knowing him more. This, this, is, this is probably the, the defining moment in our church's history. We're eight or nine years old now. This is the biggest thing that's happened to our church that could affect our church and will affect our church. And because it's a defining moment, I felt like I couldn't just give that news and, and then just walk away. I felt like there are, we need to go to the word and we need to see how would God comfort us, how would God guide us in this moment. And so this sermon might be kind of scattered, but there's going to be two things that I'm going to encourage us as a church to bring to God. And then there's going to be three things that I encourage us as a church to remember about God. Okay? The first thing that I want us to bring to God is our sadness. 
The first thing I want us to bring to God is our sadness. I'm going to read from Psalm 34, some of the, uh, the most famous verses in the Bible. It's going to be on the screen. Verse 17 of Psalm 34 says this, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. One of the most beautiful truths of the gospel is that we are righteous because of Jesus. We, we can be sinful, we can be messed up, we can be struggling, and yet, because of what Jesus did, we can be seen as righteous in God's eyes. And so when we go to this Psalm 34, and it says, when the righteous cry for help, that doesn't mean when the good people, that doesn't mean when the non-sinners, it means that those that, have be that believe in Jesus have been given a righteousness. You and I in this room, if you have put your faith in Jesus and what he's done, you're righteous. And so this psalm can comfort us without any caveats, without any mechanisms of trying to be our best in order for God to hear us. If you just believe in Jesus, God hears you. And God will deliver you out of all your troubles. Maybe not here, but one, maybe not now, but one day. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, this psalm says. Our hearts are broken. My heart is broken. I told people, what, 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 this has felt like breaking up with someone. Me and Vince's friendship wasn't uh, pretend. It was real. This is heartbreaking. And in the pain of that, I could just stuff it down or I could go do something that makes me feel better. But what God says to me in the pain of my heartbreak is he's close to me. He's close to us. He's close to us that are feeling crushed by this. He's close to us. There is something about pain. There's something about suffering that helps us to see how close God is to us. And there's something about God himself who said, I want you to know when you're brokenhearted, when you're feeling crushed, I'm close to you. And this psalm and other psalms and all sorts of places throughout the Bible teach us that we need to bring our sadness to God. That doesn't mean God's going to get rid of our sadness or just make us feel better. But this psalm teaches us our sadness, our brokenheartedness, our crushed spirit, we bring that to God. And he's with us. Friends, that's the only way through this. If we can't bring our broken hearts to God, we are missing something that God invites us into. 
And so what is that? It doesn't look like, hey, here, here's my sadness, God, and now the sadness is gone. It just looks like going to God and crying. I don't know if you have friendships or relationships like that where you can go to someone and just cry and be sad and they're there with you. That's the picture we get of God in this moment. And sometimes God will take the pain and sometimes God will comfort. And sometimes he won't, it feels like. But no matter what, he's close to us when our hearts are broken. Church, he's close to us right now. This is who our God is. Our God is the God who sits with us in our car as we're crying. Our God is the God who, sit, who is outside with us as we're just running into the woods yelling and crying. Our God is a God who's like a mother who comes into her child's room and puts her hand on her child's back as the, as the child just weeps in pain and sadness. That's what our God is like. He's close to the brokenhearted. God is close to us in all those moments. So church, don't just feel what you feel. Feel it. It's important. Don't stuff it down, but also bring it to God. God is with you in your sadness. And for some reason, in the midst of suffering and pain, it, it, it's easier to see that at times. I hate that it works that way, but it does. Here's the next thing I want us to bring to God. I want us to bring to God our weakness. I want us to bring to God our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. I'm, I'm going to read a couple verses. They'll be on the screen. It says this. But he, this is God speaking to Paul. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Church, let's not kid ourselves. We are weak right now. We just lost a leader that we all love who is gifted and talented. We are weak for it. We are weaker because of it. And not only that, the pain of all this makes us feel weaker. And yet Paul... In the midst of one of these moments where he was going through something that weakened him, God spoke to him and said, in this moment, my grace is sufficient for you. My unmerited favor, my unmerited love for you is sufficient. The gift of me, essentially, God, the gift of God to you, Paul, is enough. My unmerited favor is enough for you. It's sufficient. And then God even says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And so as God spoke that to Paul, it made Paul realize that in all of the bad things of life, that was actually a great place for him to be. 
when there was weaknesses in his life, when there was calamities, when there was insults, when there was persecutions, when there was hardships, that was actually a time where God's grace would become more evident to him. May it be so for our church. That in this time of weakness and pain, that we would not say God isn't here, but that we would realize that God's power works through weakness. I think God loves irony. I'm more and more convinced that our God loves irony. Because he takes weak things and he lets his power course through weak things. He himself allowed allowed death to kill him in order to bring his gospel power into the world. So in this moment, where we feel weak and we're in pain, we can remember that this is actually good for us. That God's grace will be clearly sufficient for us. If we're willing to admit to God that we're weak. In these moments of weakness, I think my response a lot of times is like, pull myself up by my bootstraps, like work hard, be strong. I think at times that can be my reaction. But what God is inviting us into here is that we can bring our weakness to God. That we don't have to go to God and say, well, I'll just do this and get stronger. I'll do this and feel less sad. But we can actually just go to God and say, this is heartbreaking. I feel weak. I don't know what to do. And somehow in that, God's powers made evident. God does some of his best work. Actually, I think God might do all of his best work in weakness. It's church we're weak. Let's just own that, admit that, and bring that to God. There's some other things I want us to remember. There's going to be three things I want us to remember in this time. Do you guys know how Matthew ends his gospel? His last words of Jesus, he's not saying these are the last things Jesus said, but the way he wanted to end his gospel, some of you might be thinking the Great Commission, and that, that was part of it, but the very last sentence of Matthew says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those are some of the most beautiful words in the Bible to me. That means Jesus wasn't just some rabbi, wasn't some teacher, some some guy that knew the best way to be virtuous. He was saying to his disciples and to his people, which is anyone that put faith in his name, he's saying, hey, though I go away for a little while, I'm coming back. But even though in a sense, physically I'm gone, my spirit will be with you. I, Jesus, will be with you. So church, the first thing I want us to remember is this. Jesus is with us right now. Jesus is here. 
Jesus isn't just here when we feel strong or feel good or feel powerful. Jesus is here in this moment with us through this. Jesus is with Vince right now. Jesus is with Verity right now. Jesus is with us in this moment. And church, the only thing that can steady our confusion and maybe the dizzying effect that this announcement and this news has is to realize Jesus is standing right next to us. Jesus is right here with us. Jesus is here with us always to the end of the age. We are not without Jesus right now. He's here. He promised it. Even if it doesn't seem like it, he's here. Here's the second thing I want us to remember. The second thing is this. A church, a body of believers, is not healthy without the ministry of the saints. We're going to repeat that. A a church, a body of believers, is not healthy without the ministry of the saints. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. It says this. And he gave, God gave, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. I've sat in sermons where verse 11 is focused, like what's an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, shepherd, a teacher? Not only have I sat in sermons, I've preached sermons where that was the focus because of the confusing nature of verse 11. And because of that, sometimes we miss something in verse 12 that's so important for us to hear is that a healthy church has saints doing the work of the ministry, not just leaders. A healthy church has saints doing the work of the ministry. For those that, if, if you're unsure, a saint is not just a, a, an ancient person who was really awesome. A saint in New Testament language is anyone that puts their faith in Jesus. You are a saint if you put your faith in Jesus. We are saints. This church is built up, made up of saints. Churches do not exist without being made up of saints. And healthy churches have saints that do the work of the ministry. Healthy churches are not places where we go because we really love it and it's amazing and it really feeds our souls. Now, I hope those are things the church does, but those aren't the reasons we go. We go because we believe in Jesus. And we don't just go to those places and put our money in a bag or in a bucket or whatever and let the professionals, let the guys like Anthony do their work. And when they do it well, we'll keep giving money. Like that, that's not how a church works. Where only the paid people do all the ministry. Now, I do ministry. Hear me. We all do ministry because we're all saints. But some times I think we think church is a place where we just give our money we let the professionals do the ministry and I just kind of get something out of it that's not how the church works that's not how healthy churches work that's how McDonald's works you go you give your money they give you something that makes you feel good and bad at McDonald's 
No jokes right now, guys. <laughs> that's not what a healthy church, that's not how a healthy church exists. A healthy church has saints doing the work of the ministry. You go, Anthony, why are you talking about this? Here's why. If we have a church that does not function in this way, in this defining moment, we're in trouble. We are in absolute trouble if we don't seek health in a church where the saints do the work of the ministry. One thing as people that have been counseling us through this, as they asked me, how do I feel in this season? How do I feel about our church in this? One thing thing that has been encouraging to me as I reflect on this is I think you guys live this out well. Like, like I, I feel encouraged by you guys that you guys see that identity as saints and see that God has the work of the ministry for you and so you do the work of the ministry. I'm encouraged by that. And so I, wa- I, I wanted to talk about it today because if we don't try to exist as a healthy church over these next few months and next few years, we're in trouble. We'll be building something more like McDonald's or something else. And I don't want that. I want God's body of believers here. So church, remember, our identity is the church. Our identity is that we're all the church. Our identity is in Christ, ultimately. I didn't phrase that well. Our identity is in Christ. And part of the identity he gives us is, is as a body of believers, together as saints doing the work of the ministry. Let's keep that identity for us. Okay, the last thing, the last thing I want us to remember is this. Christ is our treasure. Christ is our treasure. I'm going to read Matthew 13, 44 through 46. Jesus is teaching about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And remember, kingdom of heaven is Jesus' shorthand way to say where the king is and where his rule is and where his reign is, this is what it's like. Where the presence of God is, this is where it's like. Verses 44, or verse 44, says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Friends, our treasure is Christ. Our treasure is Christ. This church is not our treasure. It's not. Our treasure is Christ. Perfect leaders are not our treasure. Christ is our treasure. A good reputation is not our treasure. Christ is our treasure. Good feelings 
are not our treasure. Christ is our treasure. If we forget that Christ is our treasure, we should shut the church down tonight. I'm fine if there are people here and they're here for different reasons. I'm thankful that you're here. But I want even those to know that if you're a saint, if you believe that Jesus is Lord over all, lived a life perfectly, died a death for your sins, raised from the dead in order to give us resurrection and restore everything, if you believe in that and you're here, our treasure is Christ. That is our treasure. There are plenty of good gifts and good things God gives us that we can enjoy. But our treasure is Christ. So I'll say it again. If you're here and you're a saint and Christ isn't your treasure, repent. Turn from the things that are weak treasures and turn to Christ as your treasure. And I'm, I'm talking to the Christians in the room. We need to remember that Christ is our treasure. And if we don't remember that, in moments like this, it will just be painful. It will just be confusing. It will just be difficult. But when Christ is our treasure, the pain and the difficulty helps, will not overthrow the fact that Christ has us anchored in him. Christ is our treasure. Church, we need to remember that. So church, in this next few months, today, this week, I hope that we can give God our sadness, that we can bring our sadness to God, that we can bring our weakness to God, that we'd remember that he's with us, that we would remember our identity as God's people, the church, the saints, and that we would always, always, always remember that Christ is our treasure. Christ, Lord of all, God of the universe, is our treasure. That's the only way through this. Amen? Let's pray. God, we need you massively. We need you massively. That's a... I don't know what else to say, God, besides that. This is painful. This is sad. This is weakening. But God, help us to see that you do your best work in those moments. God, help us to not try to do work on our own apart from you. God, I think there's probably all sorts of other ways you want to comfort us and guide us and remind us of things. And I would just ask that you would do that for our people. God, give the leaders of this church wisdom and love. I'm not just saying that, God, give us wisdom and love unlike we've ever had before. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.